Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It has just gone 10 past 2 on this Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg, here up on the high felt with the storm clouds around and a lot of heat and so on. So we're looking forward to some change in the weather. But at the same time, of course, we're living in a very, very tough time for Jews, not only in Israel, but around the world. And I think that it's important for us to take a little bit of a step back, as difficult as it is at this time, and to think about the actual spiritual times that we're in, to focus on that a little bit. I think that often enough, I've spent time on this show uh, trying to communicate to everybody the importance of certain periods of time. You know, when we think about every year that we celebrate Pesach, for instance, we think about the Jewish exodus from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, and we think about how that then becomes embedded, ingrained in our lives as a time of Gula, as a time of redemption. We think about um, the year-to-year celebration of a festival called Purim. We think about how um, the Nasties in the world, uh, uh, Haman and his ilk. Um, isn't there a strange familiarity of that name, Haman, Hamas, and so on? How he rose up and wanted to destroy every Jew everywhere in all the 127 states over which he was the prime minister, over which he ruled, together with his partner in crime, uh, Achashverosh, and all the men of their ilk. Um, when we think about the fact that we celebrate every year at Purim time, we celebrate that victory. It's because the time itself, we believe, is imbued with this spirit of redemption and the spirit of triumph over negativity in the world and this time of uh, redemption, not only of our souls, but of people who were and have been redeemed at these times. And therefore, the time overlay within Judaism, is of paramount importance to our very practice of Yiddishkeit, of Torah, of mitzvahs, and so on, Um, because it's not just about the performance of the mitzvah, it's not just about the learning of Torah, but it's about time. Time is of the essence, of course, and especially when it comes to Torah, when it comes to Yiddishkeit, when it comes to our Jewish practice, uh, we know that the very first mitzvah given to the Jewish people, as we've mentioned many times, was the concept of setting up a calendar, and that each year to celebrate, to commemorate the times of great victory and the times of great joy and the times of great redemption. And of course, yes, at the same time, to think about times of destruction. We commemorate Tisha B'Av as a time of destruction, and it keeps on having that repetitive notion of um, of difficulty within our lives. I think we should plant in our brains the fact that um, what we're living with today um, the give back of Gaza and the final day of uh, the Israeli withdrawal from Gaza happened to be all those years ago on Tisha B'Av, where Jews were forcibly removed from uh, those places in Gaza, or Gush Katif, it was, uh, as it was then known. It is um, a very, very uh, difficult concept, I guess, but something that really drives us and that makes us all the time take a look at the power of the time, the power of the time that we're in, and the power of certain dates that keep on coming up and that have within them a certain power of joy, a certain power of positive energy, positivity, of happiness, and of gula, of redemption. So let's think about today. 
today is an anniversary, the 16th of Kislev. It is an anniversary of Noah's Ark coming to rest. Now we think about that, Noah's Ark, which uh, he set afloat together with his family and all the animals that were on board um, to save the world literally from extinction and to see to it that those who had not wronged um, each other, not uh, committed acts of absolute immorality and absolute uh, desecration of anything that was good, moral and holy uh, were actually obliterated and Noah and his family and all the animals who could be saved on that ark um, were um, in a world which was completely flooded and everything was destroyed but the ark of Noah according to Rabbi Yeshua who says that the flood began on the 17th of Iyar this is a day that is marked as the day on which Noah's Ark, which was submerged 11 cubits underneath the water's surface, actually touched down. And it came to rest on top of that famous mountain, Mount Ararat. So isn't it amazing that um, all those years ago, in 2104, before the Common Era, so we're looking back for a somewhat thousand years, um, we have uh, this day implanted with the idea of the flood coming to an end, of uh, the boat, the ark, coming to rest, albeit that there was still water. Remember that it was 11 cubits still that it had to drop before it actually was totally on dry land, but it came to rest on this day. Um, on the 16th of Kislev in the year 2104 before the Common Era, isn't that amazing? End of the flood. End of those difficulties, end of those uh, tragedies was in sight and uh, kind of looking forward to a world where there could be a brand new beginning. Oh, we all know that the history proved that men don't always learn from their mistakes and things kept on returning, uh, perhaps in many, many circles to what they had been before. But certainly up until Noah, there was this uh, terrible, despicable kind of uh, behavior and things, even though there were some difficulties and problems and issues uh, that confronted the next generations thereafter up until Avram, Avina, up until Abraham, wasn't nearly as bad as what had been before. And at least uh, the people had a kind of a brotherly love, a care for each other. Even yes, when they came to the building of the Tower of Bovel, the Tower of Babel, there was this feeling of of togetherness, of uh, people having a common purpose. We might not have liked the common purpose, but at least there was that, and there was somewhat of an improvement after the flood. And so today marks that day um, quite amazingly. But we have some very, very special days coming up over this coming weekend, which I'd like to spend some time focusing on, and those are the days of the 19th and 20th of Kislev. Now, we all know Kislev this month is a month in which there is the overruling, overarching uh, thought about the Chag that comes up starting next week, Thursday night, with Chanukah, with uh, the miracle of the lights and the miracle of the triumph of the few over the many, the triumph of Yehuda Maccabee and his men over the powerful Assyrian Greeks who wanted to destroy the Jewish people and wanted to get rid of 
Torah and Judaism and our connection to Hashem sounds all too familiar, doesn't it? And yet there was this triumph, and the triumph was symbolized, of course, by the power of the miracle of the Hanukkah menorah, of the little bit of oil that managed to last for eight days when it was only slated to last for one, and how this miracle of uh, Gula, of redemption, was actually implanted in this month, and it sets the month up for being a month of great light, a month of turning things around, a month of fundamental change. And yes, not only the end of the flood and the resting of Noah's Ark, but of course this whole miracle that happened in Hanukkah time. But before we get there, we have these dates of the 19th and 20th of Kislev, which come up on Shabbat, on Shabbos, and on Sunday, which have relevance to occurrences that happened in much more recent history. So we're talking about the late 1700s to the early 1800s, which um, plays a significant role and has a huge significance of gula, of redemption. And of course, we're seeing um, the concept played out before our eyes with the redeeming of hostages. We've seen the concept of redemption, of coming from the darkness into the light, how difficult it is actually to fathom what that light is actually all about when you've been in so much darkness. The idea of redemption, of bringing people back together again, it's been, on the one hand, as we all know, tragic and difficult, but yet there is the spirit of something being heartwarming and of course of Geula of redemption so stay posted and we'll carry on with talking about the 19th and 20th of Kislev when we're back right after this Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz Yes, Judaism 101.9, it is in fact, and it's welcome back, and we are talking about the overlay of positivity, positive energy, things that actually have happened in the past, and it certainly have to have a bearing on the period of time that we're in, and they do have, and please, God, we should be able to see that light, and we should be able to attach ourselves to these positive messages and see ourselves and our way clear to not only changing the narrative and thinking positively and seeing success and seeing a redemption more and more and more, ultimately leading to the leading to the Gula Shlema, to the complete redemption. Please God when Mashiach comes. But in the meantime, let's focus on the events, the occurrences that happened in history, and hopefully we can string together a number of them and see how they actually all link together to give us this positive, positive energy of the weekend that's coming up the 19th and 20th of Kislev. So first of all, in 1772, that's in 1772 of the common era, Rabbi Dov Ber, known as the Magid of Mesrich, the Mesricha Magid, who was the disciple of and successor to the founder of Hasidism, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. Remember, it was the Baal Shem Tov who founded Hasidism in those difficult days in Russia when he felt that the whole Jewish people was going to be split in two, that there was this divide, and it was a divide, not necessarily between philosophies, but it was a divide between those who had Torah learning and those who had the access to spiritual life from a, 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 a Torah point of view, and then... All of those who were in inverted commas, the peasantry, those who were uneducated, those who uh, started to drift out of the community because they weren't accepted. And the Baal Shem Tov 
uh, evaluated this all and brought about a an embrace, actually, of all Jews everywhere, which was unique at the time. And it was uh, something that not everybody accepted at the time. But uh, with his philosophy of love and his philosophy of bringing everybody together, it is undoubtedly true that the Baal Shem Tov actually saved the Jewish people at a time when otherwise it would have possibly and probably been not only cut in half, but possibly and probably decimated into a few of the spiritual have-nots and the rest who would just be sidelined, assimilated and so on. So this Baal Shem Tov was succeeded by Rabbi Dov Ber, known as the Maggid of Mizrich, and passed away um, in uh, 1772 on this date, on the date of the 19th of Kislev, which is coming up on Shabbos. Now, Rabbi Dov Ber led the Hasidic movement from 1761 until his passing on the 19th of Kislev in 1772. The date also marks the birth date of the Rebetzin Menucha Rochel. So on the very day um, that the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadi, was liberated from prison, which we'll talk about in a moment, a granddaughter was born to him. So this was in 1798. She was the daughter of his son, Rabbi Dov Ber, and his wife, Rabbi Shana. The girl was named Menucha Rochel, Menucha meaning tranquility. Rochel is the name of, it was uh, the name of a daughter of uh, Rabbi Shneer Zalman, who passed away young. And in 1845, Rabbi Menucha Rochel, just a little bit about her, she realized her lifelong dream to live in the Holy Land. She went to Israel, uh, where she and her husband, Rabbi Yaakov Kuli Slonim, um, who passed away in 1857, led a contingent of Hasidim who settled in Hebron. She was famed for her wisdom, her piety, and erudition. She served, served as the matriarch of the Hasidic community in Hebron until her passing in her 90th year in 1888. Now, we've got to remember that um, from a Hasidic point of view, from a spiritual point of view, from the point of view of Kabbalah and so on, we understand that the birth date of a person into this world is actually mirrored by, it's reflected by, and it's really linked to, in a big way, the birth date of the soul into the next world. Um, from uh, great people such as the Rashbi, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, who taught that the idea of the elevation of the soul, when the soul leaves this world and it leaves its bodily res- restrictions, it is elevated to a much higher plane. And therefore, from a Hasidic point of view, from a spiritual point of view, we talk about the Neshama having an aliyah, the soul goes ever higher. And that's just for any ordinary Neshama. But when it comes to a Tzadik, it comes to a righteous person, we think about the elevation of their soul being actually a day that marks the fulfillment of their great mission on earth and of the elevation of their great work to much higher levels um, on a spiritual plane. And therefore, when we talk about the passing of the Magid on this day, it's not a day of sadness, but rather a day of great spiritual upliftment, elevation, and so on. And when we talk about the birth then of the Rebbe and Menucha Rochel, uh, who was born on this day in 1798, there is the strong and profound link. And of course, we're talking about not this day today, but the day of the 19th of Kislev, which comes up um, on this coming Shabbos. Let's also think about the fact that long, long time ago, on the 20th of Kislev, in fact, in the year 347 before the Common Era, so 347 before we started counting, and now, of course, we're in the year 2023. So going back uh, 3,367-odd years or so, Ezra, the head of the Sanhedrin and the leader of the Jewish people, at the time of the building of the Second Temple, made a historic address on the 20th of Kislev 
to a three-day assembly of Jews in Jerusalem. Now, what was this all about? Remember that this was uh, between the two Batemigdash, between the two temples. What was he doing? He was exhorting the Jewish people to adhere to the teachings of Torah. And, of course, his main concern at the time, interestingly enough, was to dissolve their interfaith marriages. The Jewish people were on the verge of complete assimilation at the time, and he certainly felt so, following their 70-year exile in Babylon. Now, remember that it was just 70 years in Bovel, and people like Ezra was so concerned that the 70 years in Bovel had already decimated the Jewish people, that Jews were intermarrying, that there was a total assimilation, that it was really going to be difficult to get everybody back on track. And he made a huge appeal over these days, and particularly on the 20th of Kislev, to the entire population, anybody who could gather together at an historic gathering in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem um, before the construction of the second temple, or at the time that it was being built, and he exhorted them to adhere to the teachings of Torah and to um, get rid of their interfaith marriages. Of course, we're talking about a time when interfaith marriages took place and there weren't any conversions. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, as though uh, these people had become Jewish. It was um, really something that was uh, destined to decimate the Jewish people and um, uh, really, really... Um, bring about a complete assimilation at the time. So that happened on the 20th of Kislev. Now if we hop back to the 19th of Kislev, we mentioned briefly the main event of the 19th of Kislev was in 1798. So in the same year as we mentioned, the birth of Rebetz and Menucha Rochel, in 1798 on the 19th of Kislev, um, Rabbi Shneel Zaman of the who was the leading disciple of Rabbi Dovber of, Mizr- of Mizrich, who we mentioned before that this was his birthday, and the founder of Chabad Chassidim, was released from his imprisonment in a place called the Peter Paul Fortress in Petersburg, where he was held for 53 days. And the charges that he was held uh, for was that his teachings threatened the imperial authority of the Tsar. Um, and much more than a personal liberation, this in fact became a watershed moment in the history of Hasidism because it heralded a new era in the revelation of the inner soul of Torah and it is celebrated to this very day as something that is known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidism. So coming up on this coming Shabbos, we celebrate not only, of course, the Yorzeit of the Maggid of Mezrich, the birthday of Rebetzin Menuchah Rochel, the anniversary of Ezra speaking to the Jewish people and asking them not to, to assimilate, but really an empirical, essential date in the Chabad Hasidic calendar of really a date that marks in a big way the foundation stone of Chabad Hasidism. It was on this date that the Alter Rebbe really felt that Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadi really felt that his redemption from prison was not just him walking out of that fortress, of him coming out of that jail after those 53 days of being held. It's amazing how close we are to those days when we think about uh, the hostages who are being released after and around 50 days. He was held for 53 days. It comes up on this Shabbos, Yudtes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev. He was held for nothing more than spreading Torah, than teaching Judaism, than teaching Hasidism. He was um, a huge a man of huge, huge intellect, of huge genius, of huge respect within all the 
um, echelons of Judaism at the time, um, Torah Judaism, particularly in halachic circles where he was re- a renowned halachic authority. But not only that, he had taken over and really was the um, essential forebearer, the forerunner of the entire Hasidic movement at the time, having taken over from the Magid, who in turn took over from the Baal Shem Tov, as we mentioned before. And here he was as this great, dynamic, brilliant, um, intellectual, um, huge, huge capacity, huge, huge authority. And he was arrested and he was held like a prisoner, of course, held as a prisoner in this Peter Paul fortress, which actually was an island fortress um, in Petersburg. And uh, there are many, many fascinating stories about the time of his incarceration and so on. But then, 53 days later, he was released and released without any further charges being held against him. And in fact, from uh, pretty much then on, and soon thereafter, he became known as a royal citizen of the Tsar in Russia. And there was this complete turnaround because not only was he exonerated, but he proved uh, beyond all doubt uh, that his intentions were so pure that it was all for the betterment of mankind everywhere, that it was all for the betterment of Judaism and that there was absolutely no threat whatsoever to the Tsar or to uh, the government of the time and so on. And um, in fact, all the charges were simply trumped up uh, by those perhaps filled with hatred, with jealousy, with whatever they were filled with against uh, the Alter Rebbe and his great and incredible teachings. So it was a day of great redemption. The Alter Rebbe saw it not only as a personal redemption. It wasn't just that he was walking out of jail, but that, in fact, it was his whole philosophy that had been exonerated. It was his entire um, life force. It was everything that he stood for and everything that he wanted to teach and that he knew to be the truth of Torah and of Judaism and the need of the time. Because the Alter Rebbe, although he perhaps was criticized by many at the time, for perhaps going a little bit too far in uh, his revelation of the mystical parts of Torah, of the hidden parts of Torah, which became known, of course, as Hasidic philosophy, which, of course, was the blueprint of um, Chabad Hasidism, where he added a great intellectual dimension to everything that the Baal Shem Tov had taught before him. Here was the total exoneration. Here was the release. Here was the redemption, not only of him in person, but of his entire philosophy, which had not only been found guilty and exonerated, but in fact was now redeemed, released, and free to be able to take hold wherever it possibly could. Now, if we think about going back then, and we think about a world today where, and I'm sure you will agree with me, if you travel around the world and you see uh, what the presence of Chabad Hasidim, Chabad Shluchim, Chabad emissaries have done in this entire world, everywhere, whether it be um, the support and the help that is given today to victims of terror and to people who are suffering in Israel and support to the military um, in the background and in the foreground, doing whatever is possible. Um, the men and women of Chabad are there to see to it that there is a... Um, a caring um, of people in every corner of the world. There are Chabad houses set up around the world, not only teaching the teachings of Chabad Hasidism, but moreover, teaching the teachings of love and teaching the teachings that the Alter Rebbe 
and the Rabbeim, the Rebbe's thereafter, uh, put into practice, Avas Yisrael, love of your fellow man, complete, complete commitment to the ways of Torah, to the inner parts of the Torah, revealing the light, bringing everything that perhaps was uh, overlaid with um, gollus, with uh, incarceration, with difficulty, being locked up and in the dark, bringing it out to the fore, bringing it out um, into the open and making it the real light and the real power of spirituality that pervades everything in our world and that can bring so much goodness, so much kindness and so much of the type of world that we truly want to live in. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we've been talking about these days of Geula, these days of redemption and the power that they carry within them to uh, think about what redemption actually means. It's not only uh, the fact that people are locked up in jail, but sometimes redemption is where a philosophy needs to be redeemed or where we need to actually Unlock our own minds Where uh, that is a gula That is a redemption Where one can, in inverted commas, start to see the light Where you start to see How right Right is How good truth is How wonderful our Torah is How wonderful our Judaism is And what the Alter Rebbe What Rabbi Shnir Zaman of Liadi Primarily added to everything Was all written up in his magnum opus In his great work called the Tanya, Tanya being uh, the book otherwise known as the book of the intermediaries or the Sefer Shal Benonim, where really we have there a beautiful and incredible manual for the soul. The manual for the soul really describing and giving us an insight into what we are really doing here, what we're meant to be doing here, what our mission is in this world, how our soul actually works, how it interfaces with our physical being, how the godly soul and the animal soul have their interface with each other and how the one needs the other in order to be able to do what it needs to do, how our mitzvot, our mitzvahs, are actually bite-sized pieces of godliness that each time that we're doing a mitzvah, God has condensed, we're told by the Alter Rebbe, he's condensed his incredibly powerful and incredibly infinite um, intellect and um, intelligence and teaching and light and so on is condensed down into these small manageable parts because it's impossible for us to grasp God and to grasp godliness and to grasp God's intellect. But God took that incredible um, <coughs> intellect and he broke it down into small bite-sized pieces, let's call it, which were implanted in every single mitzvah, every single small act of um, kindness, of goodness that we do, and every small act of one of God's commandments of the mitzvot, the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. And as we do those, and as we not only think about them, but as we talk about them, and as we study them, and as we get involved in the length and breadth of all of these parts of God and of godliness, we ingest those into our souls, and our souls become 
fulfilled in the mission that they were sent here for in the first place. And by so doing, we don't only elevate ourselves, but we actually have the power within ourselves then to elevate, to change, to fix, and to bring light to the entire world. This is a powerful and incredibly, incredibly important work by the Alter Rebbe, by Rebbe Shnil Zalman of Liadi, um, giving us all of these, and then some, of course, I've condensed it into one line, and it's impossible to actually do that. But how we're supposed to live our lives, what we're supposed to be focused on, how our life interfaces with God, with godliness, with our Torah, with our mitzvot, how we're supposed to see to the needs of our godly soul and make sure that it is nurtured and nourished and that it is in the place and the space that it needs to be. How we take then our animal tendencies and we temper them and we taper them and we pull them with us and we make them, we turn them into um, the greatest assets of godliness in the world rather than the negative where their nurture and their nourishment um, is and can be taken from and lead to such disconnection and such um, um, heinous and uh, disgusting behavior. You know, we um, often think about it when we come to a study of a book like the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe's magnum opus, as we said, when we think about it, um, he's actually telling us that man can be the bandwidth of man's behavior is far, far greater than any other thing or creature that God created. We can be far, far worse in our behavior than the worst animals. We have the ability to really, really sink sink to the depth of depravity. <clears throat> we don't need more than uh, just a month ago's examples of how that is possible, how people can do that. Um, and then, of course, on the other end of the stick, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the ability to reach to such great, incredibly lofty heights, to be just like God, to be close to God, to be in God's embrace in the most incredible fashion through our performance of mitzvahs, through our uh, studying of God's Torah, through our doing of whatever it is that God wants from us on, on this earth. And this is what the Alter Rebbe, what Rabbi Shneel Zaman of Liadi, more than anything else, exhorted his people, his followers, his Hasidim, and all of us to actually do. It was all rede- redeemed, released, and came to being, the Alter Rebbe told us, on the 19th of Kislev, this coming Shabbos, the opening up of those channels of really knowing where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, and how each and every one of us can shed light, not only on our own souls, but on the entire world. Be back with you to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. As we live in a world that seems to be in a state of darkness, as we live in a world that seems to be ganging up um, for evil and promoting evil and thinking that evil is good, um, it just shows just how much darkness there actually is. As we live in all of that, I think that we as Jews need to take our inspiration from things that are much, much higher than all of that and think about what we are truly connected to, how we are connected to God, to godliness, to Torah, to mitzvot, and ultimately to truth, 
the Torah of truth, and that each and every moment of our lives, we need to be committed to thinking about what our purpose is on earth and how we can actually change not only the narrative, but we can actually change the spiritual energy in the entire world. And coming up over this weekend with Yutet and Chav Kislev, with the 19th and 20th of Kislev, we have the important um, moments of realizing just how we as Jews have that overlay of redemption, of geula, um, that uh, pervades all else, and that um, we too can uh, redeem ourselves. We can redeem ourselves from that darkness. We can redeem ourselves from the negative thoughts. We can redeem ourselves from um, everything that uh, seems to be preoccupying us and causing us to feel down and depressed and sad and worried and troubled. And think about the power that we can really and truly tap into. Let's do positive things. Let's tap into positive energy. Let's think about light rather than darkness. Let's think about joy rather than sadness. Let's think about redemption rather than captivity. And as we so do, and as we do that, we will um, hopefully be able to tap into everything and anything that was taught to us by the great Rabbi Shneel Zalman of Liadi, by Chabad Hasidism, by the Tanya, by all of these uh, positive influences in our lives and in the world, which bring about light, which bring about joy, which bring about happiness, positive thought, and a real fulfillment of exactly who we are, what we are, and what we're meant to be doing. And if we can tap into that and we live with the, as the Ra'alta Rebbe also exhorted us to live with the parsha of the week, the portion of the week, and we think about that from week to week, and we take a look at the important messages of uh, redemption and of positive energy that they convey, and all the stories of old that happened in these parshiot um, that come back from time uh, to time to remind us, and not only sometimes to haunt us and to teach us how we are supposed to react and how we're supposed to behave. If we can tap into that energy, we will undoubtedly make not only the rest of this week much greater, the Shabbos up ahead much greater, but all our lives far, far greater, much more productive, much more fulfilled, and much more meaningful. And in so doing, we will be able to start in our own minds to think about Gula, redemption, about what it actually means, how much we need it, and how much we hope and pray that it should happen immediately, speedily in our time. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbos up ahead, and a great Chag HaGula, a good Yom Tov for the 19th and 20th of Kislev, which we look forward to immensely, and we hope that that will herald the great, great revelation, not only of everyone who needs to be redeemed, but also the Geula Hashlema with the coming of Mashiach immediately. Take care. Have a good week. Look forward to seeing you again. Same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.